Welcome to Well Played Podcast, a show on all things playful and joyous in education. I'm your host, Michael Matera, sixth grade teacher, author, speaker, and co-founder of emc2learning.com, the greatest community of educators around. Let's dive right into today's episode. We have a returning guest, Fabian Hoffman, with us, and I am super excited. We are talking today about using board games in the classroom, but we're definitely going to touch upon our sort of creations that we've done as well. So if you want to hear a little bit about creativity, applying some of the board games, using board games, and maybe even designing a little bit of your own for a class activity, definitely stick around today. For those that don't know Fabian, I'm going to ask him right now to sort of introduce himself. Yeah. Hi, I'm happy to be back. Uh, my name is Fabian. I'm a seventh grade history teacher in San Diego, California, and uh, originally from Germany. So that's why you have a, have a really thick accent. Thick. Um, yeah. Bear thick. with us, I can, people. I can play it up every once in a while so that people are not confused, but uh, usually I try to um, maintain it at a low level. Low level. Um, yeah. And I also have a podcast if anybody wants to to check that out, which is called Finding Our Tribe, uh, that I host with Jamie Halsey and Scott Kazarian. Um, also a lot of fun. You've been on there. Uh, John has been on there. Lots of people have been on there. So It's a great, great, great community to be a part of. I will say that. Absolutely. Yeah. Lots of laughs every time I go on there. <laughs> I love it. And lots of confusion too. But, you know, comes yeah, with that's, that's what produces some of the laughs. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so diving in to today's episode here, talking about using board games in the class. I mean, anybody that knows me knows I love board games. I that's like mm-hmm. I have two hobbies: cooking food, eating food, and then playing board games. Those are my two food, food and board games, food and games, <laughs> food and games. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like like the Romans, right? games yeah, yeah you, you got it. <laughs> so uh if it was good enough for them good enough for me yeah uh <laughs> i like that so yeah i have i don't know about you but i i started with dabbling with some board games in the classroom typically to sort of build relationships with students so i started with things mm-hmm. i could kind of finish at recess like a little light in the game industry we'd call those like filler games things that can just yeah. sort of fill those small time slots but I don't know how many years ago I started using a game called Antique. Uh, mm-hmm. It's the civilization sort of builder game, and it can kind of finish in about ninety minutes. And yeah. well, so that's not a filler. Uh, but that was my first time actually trying to like use a board game in class for an activity. It took two days to do. Uh, I set up my room was like crazy. Fabian, I like pushed out everything else and i had five tables set up with these boards one for each class period <laughs> okay and it was like don't touch wow. any of the boards don't like bump it oh <laughs> that my god is risky man <laughs> i was so nervous but it worked out it worked out every time yeah. i ran it yeah. and uh it's neat to see kids sort of work together in a game um mm-hmm. i didn't know if it would work i mean like literally i was having this this game is made for like only there's, I think, max player count is five or six. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So in each class, I only had six groups. And then that means you're like working with two or three other students, yeah. uh, sometimes four. And I didn't know if that would work. But it actually yeah. did. Like 
I think it's so different to play a game. You know, like kids were just excited to discuss with their teammates. Like, should we buy this? Should we do that? Should we invest here? Should we attack there? Uh, So even though what should have been the experience for one was creating an experience for like three or four in a team and it worked uh, and they loved it. I'm curious about you. Like, what have you used in the classroom that might be more of an off the shelf experience? I never really used like the like the big games like you just mentioned. Like for me, the the ones that I am using are usually for review games like Operation. I use a lot. Um, I use Jenga. I use Greedy Granny, which is my absolute favorite um, <clears throat> because they're very easy to use. There's no like hard rules. Um, students really quickly figure it out, and then it's it's this this dynamic that's happening with like. Um, there's some risk involved, especially with greedy granny, right? If you if you take one and then you there's like a chance part of it, because um, you press the button and granny could wake up at any point. And can and and when I combined that with like item cards in my classroom, like kids were just going bonkers. It's just so much fun because they um, now we we created like house rules where um, we have like extra rules on top of the actual ones where students just can mess with each other that they usually couldn't. And I think that makes it a lot of fun too. So um, I, I was thinking of using um, <clears throat> games like Pandemic in some way mm-hmm. because I thought like that's a, that's a really cool game, but then it's really complicated. And so I kind of like shied away from it. Um, but I haven't, yeah, I shied away from like a little bit more complicated games in my classroom so far. It's always been like these kinds of review games, uh, that worked really well for me. That's understandable. Um, like I said, really in all my years, I've only used one complicated game, maybe two. Now that I think about it, I also did one in China, but again, it was always a group activity. So like if it was complicated, if somebody forgot a rule, it was like somebody else in the group would be like, oh, but remember, we can't do that or whatever. Yeah. So it actually sort of works out. But just like you, that dedicate that means you have to dedicate more time to the experience. So uh, definitely more of the games I play are those light filler games that you can just, I don't know, it's almost like inherent what you have to do, right? It's just yeah. it's just built into the game. You get it. Like you're trying to stack yeah, this, like, like grab that, ha, balance this. Ha ha mustache. Have you ever played ha ha mustache? It's no. a lot of fun. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's a card game and you have like a mustache that you hold up to your face and then the kids need to guess whose mustache it is. Nice. And you, you give them like hints along the way and the more hints you give them, the less points they get. So um, it's a lot of fun. I played it during the pandemic when we were all online. Um, because kids didn't need anything. All they need to do is just like type something or, or, or yell it out. Um, yeah. So that, that was like one of my filler games that I like to use. And also, Oh, I remember um, I did incorporate a space team in my class one time as part of uh, the end of a game when we, we did like a, a break, a QR break in kind of a game. Um break in boss battle mix and then in the end they had to escape from the death star and we were playing space team at at the end with uh devices because it didn't have the card game yet and that was a lot of fun too because uh i i love it when there is like this chaos happening that's all leading to something Mm -hmm. and it's like organized chaos in a way and there's just so many laughs in there and yeah so that's that's what I just remember. I was like, oh yeah, I did use that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I guess 
thinking about our listeners here that like haven't tried playing a game what like a game with students in in the whole class mentality i mean like i get i think every teacher gets how they could maybe at recess invite five kids up and play a game with them which by Mm -hmm. the way if you haven't done that you should do that it is excellent but uh maybe could you give a suggestion or two of a game that you think is worth their spending we'll say up to 25 dollars like that might flow into an entire class activity so like boom we got 25 kids and we could use this game um i i mean just the the classics right like if we use jenga most of us have jenga at home i think that is a that is a great tool to use in in class when um you combine it with like a uh, students need to look for, certain look for items, and you you number the Jenga pieces. I think that was an idea by John Meehan. Um, you number the, the Jenga pieces, and students need to look for those uh, whatever that number stands for. For example, like if it's like theming, I did a unit on um, the Holocaust, and we were reading uh, the Devil's Arithmetic, and um, I was teaching English back then, and we were looking at theming in in the book and. Um, so some of the themes the students had to look for were like uh, references to God or family or um, uh, what, whatever the theme was. I don't remember. But then um, so they, they pull the Jenga piece and they look for it. They look at the number. They identify what they need to find and then they get to keep that piece. And if they can't find the thing, then they need to put the piece back on top. And if they tumble the tower, they have to rebuild it, but they also lose all their blocks. So that's a pretty simple way of, of using Jenga in a classroom. Um, that is a lot of fun. There's a lot of like cursing <laughs> happening when they, when they accidentally tumble the tower. But it's also there's like this frantic uh, energy happening when they're trying to rebuild it and then reclaim all the pieces that they had and stuff. So it's, I love using that. Nice. That's a good suggestion. Uh, I think for me, I have so many in my head that I want to suggest, but I I think I'm going to suggest one that my students just love every time I pull it out is uh, Crocodile Dentist. Oh, yes. Yes. So this is just super simple. There are these teeth around this crocodile's mouth that's open, and each time you open it, like reset the game, one of the teeth that are standing will cause it to slap shut. And uh, there's, I just have tons of fun where each time they push one of them, it's like a point. And you, mm. there are different ways to play with that points mechanics in your review. But like basic, basic quick one here on the podcast, you ask group one a question. If they get it right, they get to come up, click one of the teeth down. They get so many points, right? But each tooth now is worth more points i kind of do exponential scoring because now the odds for the next group go up uh and if it clamps down you lose the points you accumulated this round so it's like one of those do you do it or not do it um and it's just super fun like when that thing clamps down everybody in the room kind of erupts like and the person that's doing it kind of shakes a little bit so (laughs) i definitely would pick that one up that one's super fun uh in the classroom and you know as far as family goes i know that's not the point of this episode but i just want to throw one two sentences in here that if you can uh maybe get in the habit of (laughs) 
this is gonna sound ridiculous but come up with a little bit of a board game budget um when i think about the entertainment <laughs> that the entertainment value that's there i just think we spend money all the time on yeah. things that are like temporary and and then people are like well i don't buy any games and you're like ah like you have kids you have a family like you know even a board game that's spent even if a board game was like 65 bucks but like you'd own it you'd have it right and like yeah. you and your kids could play it year over year like so i don't know if you want to say that you're going to be willing to spend 200 bucks a year on board games like you'd be amazed at what nice collection and family memories you'd have in 10 years you know like yeah which yes that would be two thousand dollars over 10 years but like <laughs> but still but it's well spent because it's it, i was gonna it say go away right? or that's like if you don't break it or that's like 15 <laughs> movies you guys would watch together like yeah at the movie theater like and you won't even remember what 15 you went and saw like maybe you'll remember <laughs> like those big ones like the premiere of like the newest star wars or something but the other ones you won't remember and you each of those scenarios you spent two thousand dollars and like yeah i don't know and it's definitely yeah it's memory forming like every time we we don't play board games that often but when we do it's like literally like we talk about it for days and we remember it and i think back fondly at like how my son didn't understand a game like two years ago and now all of a sudden he's like he's got it because he's two years older when we play it again and it's it's cool because you can also see like this progression of how kids develop and how they start to understand things more so that's a lot of fun i love it so now now that we both gave you some like off the shelf ideas both fabian and i have taken it upon ourselves to sort of create what i'm going to call a simulation uh, but one could call it a board game. We sort of took some of our knowledge of board games and kind of put it in place in our classrooms and produced, again, what I'm going to call a simulation. I'd love to hear from you, Fabian. What was, what did you create? What was, what was this thing, this beast? So the, the, the game that I came up with is called Race to Conquest. And the, the premise is um, that we just finished our Rome unit and Rome fell and everything's in disarray across Europe. And we have all these tribes that are trying to like figure out and gain power and try to figure out like, how can we fill this power vacuum? So that's the, the premise of the game. And then you have four teams that are um, playing together uh, and try to take over territories on the map of Europe. And it's all like totally made up. And these, these are not real like tribes or houses or whatever, but it, I just, I, I distilled it down to the, its very basic uh, form, and I got the idea from your book actually, where you mentioned that you um, that that you got inspired by this Indiana Jones uh, map um, from Indiana Jones: The Last Crusade. And I, I honestly, when I read this, I was like, "Oh my god!" It's I totally I know exactly what you mean because it re it really like when I was a kid, this also left like an impression. It's like you push stuff on this giant thing and it's, it's amazing. And so um, I went out and I, uh, I designed like a, a game map with hexagons. I just used Google drawings. I know there's like a website out there where you can use um, maps and then it adds hexagons on there automatically. I did it all by hand. Um, so I'm very proud of that. I was going to say, you can um, see it on its face, everybody that's listening. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, it took a while. But uh, then I just uh, printed it as a PDF or I saved it as a PDF and then uploaded it to rasterbater.net, I think, um, which is a website that creates posters out of PDFs or posters out of JPEGs. 
Um, and the way it does it is it just cuts the, the, it blows the picture up and then it cuts it into as many sheets of paper as you want. So that is, that was really helpful. And that was really cool because I was able to create this giant map for the floor. And then I just had to tape it together, cut it a little bit. So the, the pieces fit together. And then I placed it in the middle of our room. And um, it was definitely an experience for the students because they walked in, they were like, what is happening right now? Because there's this giant... <laughs> I love surprises on students. And, and I think the, like, I have them in period two and then period three, we have like a, a flex class where it's like design and, and art. And so um, when the students came back, word had spread already. And they were like, what, what are we playing a board game today? Is this, what is happening? So um, I, I love creating those kinds of rumors as well. And yeah, and so the, the only problem I ran into bef- before I even start like talking about mechanics, the problem that I ran into, I have 35 kids in my classroom in almost all of my classes. And so splitting them up into four teams was not very doable excuse me, doable, because then I would have like seven, eight people in one group or even nine. And so that just was not possible. So what I did was I split it up into two um, phases. So I have the map phase and I have the, I call it the blue kit phase because we used blue kit to practice vocabulary. So I had students who were busy on the map. That was half the class. And then I had students who were busy playing blue kit, practicing vocabulary. And then after about 20 minutes, I switched them around. And then the kids that were on blue kit got to be on the map. And then the others had to play blue kit and could earn some more points for the end. So it it kind of like alleviated this whole thing. What do kids do when it's not their turn down to, well, there's only four kids in a team and, or even less so three to four kids in a team and everybody has something to do. And I also made it so that when there was a team that um, got like more than 90%, if each of them got more than 90%, they were able to choose whichever color they wanted uh, as their team on the giant map. So there was like a reason why they had to like get better and better and better at like their that. Um, vocabulary that they learned. So that that was like the the big general idea. And then the mechanics are pretty simple and pretty boring really if you play it for too long Um, because all it is really um, I use poker chips and I had like blue colored poker chips blue red yellow and whatever and I had so each team got a color and they had I think 20 poker chips and every time they wanted to take over a territory they had to put uh, of a different color so of a different team they had to place their poker chip on that, uh, on that uh, octagon, hexagon, and uh, then they roll a die. I use a 12-sided die, and whoever has the highest number wins, and then either they defend it, and the other team has to retreat, or the team gets to leave their token there, and then they own that, that spot. And to, to add a little bit to that, um, I also said that I also gave them four black chips, which were our resource chips, um, and I said, and I don't know if that even makes sense. I just figured, hey, that would be cool. Um, if a team gets four territories, so they took over four territories that were occupied before, the other team has to give them a resource token. And those count for uh, like five points instead of one point. So you have like a little bit of, of like an incentive why to attack like one specific 
uh, color. And then the the thing about it is it, it gets boring, right? Because it's all, all it is, is like you roll a die, you take, you try to take this over, the other team rolls a die and then they defend it. And it's just this back and forth and back and forth. But what was fun about it was that they started to form alliances and I didn't even tell them anything about that. Oh yeah. Which kids, was fascinating. Kids are going to do that for sure. Yeah. Which was fascinating because that's essentially what happened in the Middle Ages, right? Because they the, the houses started to marry into each other and then they had a some kind of a connection and therefore they were stronger together. And so that's exactly what they did just on accident. And it was a logical thing for them to do, which is great when we start to, to talk about the Middle Ages and we talk about these different houses eventually um, that, that were ruling uh, Europe at that point. So there's a lot happening that accidentally happened that I was very proud of. <laughs> I love it. So you have a lot going on in that game. I like how you structured the the two parts. So anybody trying to think of how to manage that many kids, you know, you did a good job of kind of offloading some, but that there was a meaningful connection between that offload and then the on-ramp towards the game. Yeah. I like that a lot. And... uh you and I have similar stories here. Uh, my my game that I did was also kind of the beginning of the Dark Ages, the fall of Rome. Uh, yeah. It's such an interesting period. Like all of the like major powerhouses in Europe are gone, and you just have these like tiny little tribes yeah. vying for power. Uh, I do. I did mine a little differently. So everyone is playing. All, the whole time mm-hmm. I usually play it over two days uh, but like you I have a huge map and that that was my first hurdle in this game design slash classroom design like mm-hmm. if I have one giant map what do I do when third period walks in like I can't have another map for third period there's too many things yeah. going on I can't necessarily like reset the board every class because yeah. uh, mine ended up being a little complicated there were different types of units you could get and you could move them around and like so uh i decided which i which worked well it was just going to be a continuing story like when Mm. when third period walks in if you're the red player you sit down by the red team and you pick up where they left off it's and it, it in a history class at least it almost added some realism like right it's almost like passing the torch yeah. from one generation to the next like you now have to like pick up where we left off and yeah. kids were allowed to like leave notes to the next class like ah this is what we're trying to do we're almost like saved <laughs> up for this thing and it was so cool oh, that's to see. awesome uh and yeah. it was so cool to do two days of it because then that original class came back in and was like oh my gosh look at all the stuff we have or oh my gosh when what happened what happened (laughs) like we were so in the lead now we're like terrible and uh so that was one challenge like overcome but like definitely want you all to think that's a design style you could do like just allow it to be it doesn't have to be reset because really the learning takes place throughout the simulation. It's not like the learning only happened at the beginning of the simulation. It's throughout. So like who cares that somebody's starting on turn seven or whatever. Uh, They're still going to go through all the same motions. Uh, The other thing that I wanted, if you're playing a whole class game is not a lot of downtime, right? If we, if we think of classic monopoly, 
you know, like I'm doing nothing on your turn. We're just like watching you roll the die, watching you move your little car four spaces, watching you pay that that price, and then it's the next mm-hmm. guy, and I'm just watching the next guy. And if I have 25 students, you don't want them, you don't want 20 of them watching one group do their turn. Yeah. And I don't know why more board games don't do this. Uh, they were, I don't even remember the name of the board game. It was actually a terrible board game. But <laughs> it had this one mechanic that I thought was genius and more people should do. Uh, the game came with like 25 little sand timers. Mm-hmm. And so like your player board would have these actions you're doing. And it would be a little bit like a video game, like Civilization or something. Like, hey, I'm trying to build the great wall and every in the game civilization the online game or the computer game it's like every turn you generate so many resources so like the game could tell you like based on your current like resource distribution it'll take you 20 turns to build the great wall and it's like cool well this had that same feel like i'm gonna put my three minute sand timer on this action and when this thing's out we can like execute that action Mm, they okay. they could upgrade their timers to get a two minute timer or a one minute timer so like increasing technology and like the speed and efficiency of certain yeah. tasks uh and then there's just the infic- efficiency of like real-time strategy like sometimes your timer would go out but you didn't execute the action because you weren't paying attention you were like talking to your like buddies about like oh should we do this next should we do this and like your three minute timer has been done for two minutes like yeah. ugh, like kids really i loved that it was real time like there was no you're taking a turn it was i'm using you know our team's using our i gave everybody two two timers to start with and they Mm -hmm. could upgrade and get like more workers which would be more timers um but resource wise it was pretty basic there was like food gold uh, and it might it might have just been like building materials like i don't even think i separated out like stone and wood it was just yeah generic building materials uh and then they could spend it on various things like building castles armies uh they they had some like internal buildings then i was like the first year i ran it they were just generic buildings on the board and then i thought like (gasps) i have those legos so then on my like rule book, I made like certain combinations to sort of symbolize like you built like a huge church and they would have to follow like the, each of these things only took like four or five Lego blocks to put together. But mm-hmm. it was kind of cool. Like you could, you'd see them like have to snap together like this thing and lay down that like we built a church here. We built a castle there. We built like a farm yeah. there. Uh, and the board just sort of slowly gets populated and they that is lo- cool. They love it. So those are the things I guess I would want to suggest to people like seeing and anticipating a problem you have in your classroom like I'm going to have multiple periods. Like I can't let everyone sit there and do nothing. So Fabian had it be half and half. I had it be everybody, but it was that real-time nature. Um there yeah. are there are solutions that you can overcome and then still get to provide these kind of experiences in your classroom. And I definitely suggest people think about them. They're, they're like, they're really fun to run. And as Fabian said, this thing by no means is polished. Like if I, like <laughs> there are some rough edges, there are some things that yeah. don't make sense. Uh, but like, that's only cause I run it once a year. 
Yeah. Uh, but, but I guess the, the exciting point, right, is both of our games still serve the purpose. Like kids still enjoy them for that one or two days and still do the learning. Could I yeah. sell this to every target across America? No, because like it's got those rough edges. But uh, yay us as teachers that we can do these things. We can put these experiences in play. And if we want it, we can polish them up uh, and, yeah. and maybe use them more often than once a year. Whew. Yeah, just, it's fun. I, I, I really, I, I never thought that I could play games in my classroom. So like five or six years ago, it was like very like, classic teacher i mean i was always engaging i always fun stuff that i that i did like fun projects but it was never like the thought of like having something other than kahoot in my classroom was like like far away from like i didn't make that connection it was only when like i, I met john online and i met you online that i kind of like started to be like oh yeah that actually there's actually a lot of connection there that can be made and like you said like with this type of simulation like they do learn that yes even though this is not historically exactly accurate what we're doing is kind of what people were doing back then just like we're doing it in a game and they did it in real life and but if you look at a map like this stuff happened like they built churches they formed alliances they switched alliances throughout the game like that's what happened in mine when when i had uh these two teams switch um one team they so, so one of them were kind of like all three other teams uh formed an alliance against them and then that team that was on its own grabbed another team because they were so convincing and then it was two against two so you have this this really this really like incredible thing happening which is essentially yeah that's what happened historically and you just did it in a in a game and that's fascinating to me yeah i think that getting more opportunities to give kids simulation experiences like that are fantastic and most of the time i think it works out that they get the what I'm going to call kind of the empathetic lesson, like because you're putting them in their the shoes of somebody else, uh, is pretty powerful. Pretty powerful, and I definitely think we all should think a little bit more of how we can add these experiences where it's not just reading and then writing about it, reading and then taking tests about it. Like, can we get them more involved in the experience? Right. Uh, yeah. I guess a science class is a good example of that. If we think of labs like simulations, right? Like kids in science classrooms across America aren't inventing the next thing. They are literally doing labs people have done before, right? Yeah. So they are simulating a little bit what it's like to be a scientist. I mean, that is what a lab is. Like you are simulating like, oh, like there's a control, there's a variable, I'm documenting both. But like, yeah. they've all, we've dissected a frog before. They're not going to discover something new in the frog. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Unless it's a really interesting frog mutation. But. That's right. So uh, <laughs> I don't know, but like we all know that value of that in the science class. But then it seems like when we come to other classes, like you said, we just kind of get on that treadmill of like project test, you know, reading, project test, reading, project test, reading, project test, reading. And then they're like, when we, they finished my world history class. And you're like, huh. Yeah. But they didn't do, they didn't experience. And I love the experience. Yeah. Well, Fabian, we are like plum out of time. Like, wow, we're—I mean, we're over. We're over our time. 
<laughs> I talk a lot. I, I get that a lot from Scott. But, nice, yeah. nice. Blame it, blame it on your co-host. Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh, he's not here to defend himself. I don't know. No, that's the that's the perfect time to do it. Oh god. <laughs> oh, I feel bad uh, for him. Uh, well, everyone. No, it's okay. Uh, well, first, Fabian, thank you so much for coming back on. I absolutely love connecting with you each and every time. And, oh, sorry. I, I thought that my, my audio just cut out. I'm, I love being here. This is always so fun to talk to you. Um, I feel like every time I talk to you, I, I take something with me and I learn something. And so I want to thank you for having me on. No problem. And everyone else, thank you so much for being part of the well-played community. As always, would love to hear from you if you want to use the hashtag well-played podcast and tag me in it at Mr. Matera. I hope you have a good week and play on. <laughs>